What's up, everybody? It is Soccer Chat, your favorite coaching podcast. We got some great friends that support the show, so go support them as well. Go over to Dutick Brand, check it out, dutickbrand.com, where they have an amazing special going on right now at this very moment. So make sure you go over to dutickbrand.com, where any purchase that you make during the month of May from Dutick Brand, you're going to receive a free month of the coach's voice. It's going to show up in your confirmation email whenever you shop currently for the month of May at dutickbrand.com. And you know what? While you're at it, won't you go get yourself a sweet discount? Use the promo code SOCCERCHAT at checkout. So that way, not only are you getting the great Dutick brand products, you're going to get a discount and you get a free month of the coach's voice over at dutickbrand.com. Shouts to our friends over at Michigan Soccer Central. They're so amazing. They are doing everything in the world of amateur and professional soccer in the state of Michigan. Go check them out on Twitter at mi soccer central and of course our good friends over at torx t-o-r-r-x.com for the world's greatest ball pump and make sure if you've gotten one already go on amazon and leave them a nice rating and review he's nick i'm sean and nick what a special upcoming next couple of weeks we've got uh before uh your big day coming up uh i mean so obviously i you know i I'm going to speak for everyone right now for you. Okay. And I kind of, I said this to you, I think on Facebook Saturday, I believe it was, was your bachelor party. Correct. Yes. How in the world was it over at 1236 in the afternoon? It wasn't, that was a tweet that I meant to send the night before and it didn't go through. And so it went uh-huh, through at 1236. Uh-huh. It sure. was, it was, it was, uh, yeah, no. Uh, like I sent that and I was just like, I, I didn't think anything of it. And then everyone's like, why? Well, I, I think it was Ian or you commented like, or you commented and then Ian's like, he's not wrong or he's right or something like that. Right. And I was like, yeah, no, it should not be over at 1236. We did not start drinking until noon. I kind of made a like hard nicks. Like we stayed at Prelay on Friday night and I told like my buddies wanted to start and I was like, I'll give you noon, but I'm not starting before noon. And then we played every outdoor sport that you could possibly play that involves partners like spike ball beers be uh frisbee like uh what's the frisbee one where you try and knock a pole over um you know what i'm talking about no. yeah, that's, oh that's beers be that's beers be and then we played can jam where you throw a frisbee and you try to like slap it into a can um and spike ball like so we did every possible sport it was a very active bachelor party for sure Okay. Okay. I, you know what? I would expect nothing less other than did you and your, uh, groomsmen go on a run? Uh, I, and one other of the groomsmen went on a run that morning. I, uh, I do not have of my remaining groomsmen. They, there's not a lot of runners in the group. Um, I have a very, my, our, our my, my wedding party is actually like very big. Like we have a lot of like very large humans. I'm very similar to how I surround people in my life that like, like like you and Kelly and my mom and my assistant coach, Lisa, who like run my life. I surround myself with a lot of dudes that if I ever need to fight can like do that for me too, if gotcha. necessary. You got some muscle. Yeah, no, that's, that's the goal. My best man's about like six two two fifty. So like he's, he's, he's ready to take some punches for me. Ding. Anybody who's a old uh, Dan Patrick show fan knows what that means. <laughs> um, and for those who don't know, every time a caller would call in, uh, they started doing this thing where you would call in and you would say uh, you would introduce yourself and then say your height and weight. And they would always do a ding uh, <laughs> after that. So uh, now people are going to be listening to the Dan Patrick show 
and wait for a caller to call in and be like, oh yeah, I'm Nick's friend. I'm 6'2", 250. Ding! Um, so I wanted to do with this show today, obviously be, we, we've done like predictions in the past and I wanted to get to this pretty early in the conversation today. We got the final four tonight for women's soccer. By yeah. the time people listen to this, that it will have already happened. What's the predictions for the final four national championship for you? Oh man. Um, you know, I was looking at this earlier today and was kind of puzzling because uh, I, I've, kind of been working from home today and I saw that our friend um, Ailey at Virginia. So they're in it against uh, number one Florida state. And then um, this evening uh, you got UNC versus uh, Santa Clara. So I'm going to go. Oh gosh. It like, I have no like uh, allegiances in any of this. Okay, I don't just, either. Like just I'm just going off there. what I think. I'm going I've watched to, a lot of the games. I'm going to say I, I watched up until the Duke Florida State game, which was an awesome game. Uh, yeah, I really hate that I'm I didn't get to see that one. Um, I'm going to say uh, Santa Clara is going to win okay. the second game, and. Uh, I want to root for my friend Ailey, but if you beat Duke, I got to be like, Hey, like I'm going to ride that coattail. So that way, if you do win the national championship, okay. Like you got knocked out by the national champion. Um, so I want to say Florida state and Santa Clara in the final. That's interesting. Cause that's literally the exact opposite of what I went. Of course. That's, that's what I thought. Uh, my, my reason for UNC is like one, they got kind of like the home field advantage and two, they just don't, I've watched two of their three games and they just don't give up opportunities like they've yeah. shut out everyone so far santa clara's looked really good um but like unc just like they kind of play that directish style and like but like they just don't give up a ton of opportunities i don't know i would love to i haven't like followed their box scores or anything but like they just don't give up a ton of shots yeah like their box score against i mean Texas A&M, Kogut, they, their final shots for that game was 7-4 to four UNC. And then the game before against Washington, Washington's pretty high-powered, so there might be a few more there. Yeah, Washington outshot him 13-7 that game, but a lot of them were late in the game after UNC was up one and kind of, I think, just trying to preserve a lead. So I was going UNC for that one, and then I was actually going to – I was going upset City, but, like, Florida State's so good, it's hard to root against them. But, like, this is just me, like, random March Madness. Like, I'm, yeah. I got to go for at least one upset, and – so my one upset on the, and this one is going to be Virginia over Florida state, but Florida state looks so good. So it's, it's, it's hard to root against them. I, um, I guess I, I watched a few of the games. Also speaking of the NCAA tournament for women's soccer, if you go back on the uh, Ole Miss Duke game and at the beginning of the second half play gets hit around and then, um, there, I think there's, I think the ball goes out of bounds for throwing and the big homie Dean Linky gives your boys a shout out, uh, on, on the broadcast uh, and talked about soccer chat. So big shout out to the, to the big homie Dean Linky, uh, who doing a phenomenal job. There's been what 70 games in North Carolina in the last week or so. I, I can't even keep count, but that guy is like, he's the marathon man. He just, he just keeps going. It's unbelievable. He does. It's absolutely, absolutely incredible. Uh, so, you know, yeah. So Nick has his predictions. I have mine. Who is your national champion? 
I'm going, I'm like, I, again, I've always loved Anson Dorrance and we got our buddy Don Crow. So like, I got to get like, what's, it'll be his 23rd. I think I'm going UNC 23rd national title. So see in my final, I had FSU and Santa Clara new soccer chat friend. Um, so I'm going to go with our new soccer chat friend, Brady Chastain, Santa Clara as your national champions. I mean, honestly, if the lowest seed wins, you got to love it. Like if the lowest seed remaining wins, you got to, you got to love it. So. I'm, and I'm always the guy. If when I don't have a dog in the fight, I go for like the underdog, like give me the, the, the massive upset. Um, whatever I can do. Of course, I just sit here and picked FSU over Virginia. But um, I think in that, in that final FSU, Santa Clara, uh, coach Smith is, is, is going to, going to get the job done. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm going Santa Clara. So for one of us and people are going to pr- probably call us out uh, one of my favorite sports talk shows, uh, Dan Lombard, the Stu Gott's kiss of death. And also uh, I think Mike Greenberg does that as well. The kiss of death because whoever they predict typically loses. So if you are a Carolina fan or a Santa Clara fan right now, we are sorry. It's probably our fault. Yes, for sure. And on the men's side, like that's like the men's side's like super interesting too. Cause you got like a bunch of like, like on the, the one side, you got Indiana and Pitt who like Pitt. I mean, you remember when Randy Waldrum, like called it like three years ago that that coach was going to just make that program, just like a boss program. And right. they're number two in the country and just looking freaking phenomenal. And they're going against Indiana. And then I, my pick to click for that one and not for any other reason. It just, I want it to happen. We are Marshall. Like I'm, I'm going for you guys, even though they play UNC and that would I'd probably make Don Crow happy too. But like Marshall just coming out of nowhere does I watched their game the other day and they just got like the guy that buried the final PK had so much swag on him too. I was just like, <laughs> dude, like, you, like you got to respect it. So I'm going, I'm going Marshall and then I'll, I'll go pit for the final on that side. And then uh, I'm going Marshall for the win, even though it, that would be like the upset of upsets. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to go with Marshall as well. Love the feel good story. Um, and then in Indiana and Pittsburgh, uh, yes, Pittsburgh connect, Randy Waldrum hyped it up. You don't bet against Todd Yakely especially come tournament time hard. And so, and I've, I've seen like, they've, there's been some really good articles about like, if you look at Indiana's dominance, you know, come tournament time, uh, even when they've had like down regular seasons, like they still do really, really well uh, in the, uh, in the tournament. So I'm going to say, and of course, Ernie Yarbrough is going to love the fact that I'm cheering for IU on this one. So I'm going to go Indiana and Marshall in the final. And, my heart says to pick Marshall to go with that story. Apparently Frank does not agree. Um, oh, here's soccer related. Frank is barking. So Frank's my dog, Frankie hound dog. Uh, Cause the FedEx guy just pulled up. The FedEx guy right now is walking to my front door. The, uh, our swag for our Australia trip uh that uh we just had on our team store so that's a a whole soccer tie-in as frank's letting you know that there's somebody here um so again my heart is telling me go with the story 
of uh you know we are marshall go with it the underdog as i just mentioned in the women's when i go for the underdog but my mind and history tells us something else you just you don't bet on todd yakely or against him you just don't do it indiana wins that would be their 10th i believe i think they have nine already so that would be 10 for for indiana I that is information I do not have off the top of my head. They've won a lot though. I remember we, in the 90s they were I'm fairly certain they have uh yeah, they've won eight. So this would be number nine. 21 college cups, 21 final fours. That's insane. And 34 straight NCAA tournament appearances. That's crazy. So again, you don't you don't bet against Todd Yagley and in Indiana soccer. They 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 so my winners, Santa Clara on the women's side. Indiana on the men's side. But we will we will see how it happens. So again, if any if anything happens that is against your team and we voted for them, we are sorry that we uh, again ruined it for you. It's our fault. It's our fault. Awesome show we have for you today uh, that we're super excited about. As you, if you're on social media, you're very very well aware that it is Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, that's what the month of May is. Obviously, wear green. Uh, use the hashtag Mental Awareness um, Month, and you'll get a really awesome uh, hashtag. With they have an emoji that goes with it. Um, we have a very special guest, uh, as we alluded to on, on soccer chat on Wednesday night at 9 30 PM Eastern time, where you can join the conversation and, and do a Q one, a one along with other coaches from all around the world. And there's, there's really nothing soccer about today, uh, or whenever you're listening to this, this is more about mental health and, and having it while you're coaching. Uh, and we've got a very, very awesome guest who has a brand new book out that you can find uh, the, the link for that in the bio. You can find it on our tweets, on our, on our post. Uh, but we have uh, former Duke women's basketball head coach, Joanne P. McCauley, uh, joining us. A uh, brand new book out called Secret Warrior, uh, featured on Good Morning America uh, with Robin Roberts. Uh, been featured on, on a lot of podcasts recently. Uh, just recently, the book came out on Audible where she herself is reading it, which I like that twist to it. Because a lot of times I know there's these like, books on tape or books on demand and it's not the person who wrote it reading it uh i think it's kind of cool to have the person who actually wrote it who actually was there uh you know doing their uh, doing their thing so uh really really awesome interview if you're a coach who who you know struggles with with mental health issues if you think that you have something or you just want to know more about what you can do to help those who do and help fight the stigma uh, give this interview a listen because it's really, really good uh, and probably my favorite one of, of 2021 so far. You know, in Soccer Chat, every now and then we get really special episodes that we have on for you all. And, you know, we try to talk about various things that are going on in the world, uh, various things that are just coming across, 
you know, just in life in general. And, you know, most everybody knows on our show that I'm a very massive advocate for mental health and it's currently mental health awareness month. And I'm so happy. And I know that Nick is as well, that we've got a very special guest with us here. Now she and I was talking beforehand. There is not much soccer correlation here between our guests (laughs) other than when she was really little, she played center back uh, as in her little, very little stint in soccer, but we have with us very famous college basketball former head coach, Joanne P. McCauley. Thank you so much for coming on with us and, and just sharing your message. And, and, and we'll obviously talk about the book. Uh, you know, as I was just saying, you know, now it's the audio version so we can actually hear you reading the book. But um, one of the things about soccer chat is when we talk to coaches about their journey, and that's how we get to know them is to kind of understand how you are the coach now. Uh, you know, we kind of got to know like how you got to this point. So, you know, just kind of give everybody, a, uh, you know, your, your coaching background uh, and how we got to this point to where now you're going to be very famous New York times, bestselling author. <laughs> I love it. Sean, I love your confidence. Um, Somebody's got to have some. Yeah. Good to see you, Nick. And <laughs> congratulations on your upcoming wait, wedding, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Two weeks from now. It's crazy. I still have no clue what I'm wearing. Okay. That's okay. okay. You can wear whatever you want. It's it's the only thing you that now. probably get married. Everything else is not important. Uh, I love it. I love it. What a special time. See, I'm 55 now, 30 years into being married. So wow. It, it, wow. It's, a, it's a different phase uh, for us. Um, but anyway, I've been coaching for 28 years and that's eight at Michigan State. So, I'm sorry, eight at Maine, seven at Michigan State and 13 at Duke. And coaching has been my life. I was a head coach at 26 at the time, the youngest division one head coach and that was loads of fun and lots to learn along the way. And for 25 years, I had bipolar one and two be, being diagnosed privately. And so I felt it was time after a lot of coaching to be able to come out with that. I've seen a lot of mental health issues in coaching. I've also seen them with friends. Um, a young lady took her life who was a, my teammate's daughter. And so I, I really began to see just all the difficulties out there with mental health and felt felt sort of called. It was sort of my turn uh, to share my story and see if I could be of some help. And so that, so then writing Secret Warrior and stepping away from Duke and, you know, doing all the speaking and podcasts and all this great stuff. And I appreciate you having me. And um, I think it's important to talk about it. And of course, the month of May being Mental Health Awareness Month, this is a good time. Yeah. We always try to find like the various themes that go on for, you know, if there's like a theme for the month that we feel can connect with coaches, uh, you know, we always try to do something for that. Like, you know, one of the things that we'll typically do like for preseason, uh, you know, in the summertime, you know, we'll have um, some of our friends who are leadership consultants come on and, and talk about, you know, getting the team ready for the year and things like that. And, you know, obviously after the, uh, the George Floyd incident, we had a, a very awesome show on black lives matters. Um, we just recently had the, United Soccer Coaches LGBTQ uh, community on as well with us. Uh, and so, you know, like we, we were very big advocates for mental health. And, and I just knew that when we wanted to talk to somebody, you know, seeing what you've done from Secret War and also following uh, your career uh, as well, you know, it's not a very little secret that I'm a massive Duke University fan. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's how I, that's how I learned about Coach P. I remember when you got hired, I just remember seeing all these websites about Coach P, Coach P, Coach P. Uh, so, you know, now to see, you know, kind of where you're at now, I was just like, man, like if we could get her on the show, this would be awesome. And I, I, I remember in hearing your story, uh, just reading recently that for you kind of discovering those 
the things that was, you know, with the, with the bipolar and things like that, you kind of discover that like early on in your career, but like you said, you kind of kept it to yourself to you. Like, what was the sign of saying, okay, like I, I need to, I need to talk to somebody. I need to go to the doctor because I feel like a lot of people who, who do suffer from various uh, mental health um, situations that there's never really that like fine defining point of like, I need to go talk to somebody. Cause I think a lot of us will just like put it off and I'll like, you know, I'll get over it. I'll be better next day. And then maybe for a week you're fine. Then it comes back. Like for you, like, especially in the heat of coaching, I mean, college basketball, how was that to like, just tell yourself like, okay, I, I need, I need to talk to somebody. Well, actually you don't, you fight it. You know, you, you're in denial. You, you fight the fact that you could be different. I was uh, very fortunate to be surrounded with some critical individuals, um, my husband, John, uh, recognizing that my behavior was changing. And fortunately, I guess for me, was my first episode was a manic episode. And so there's a lot of positive that comes out of that, you know, highly motivated, very organized, talking a little quickly, but yet being really upbeat with my team. And so from a standpoint of my team and those not in my household, I was in a pretty great place, you know, just really up, you know, really up and positive about everything. And of course it manifested itself further because of a lack of sleep, which mm -hmm. continued over, over a week or so. And so I had to be told, I had to be taken, I had to be uh, put in an institution against my will in order to get the corrections I needed with my brain health. So I was not a good patient. And like many student athletes or former student athletes, you know, very sensitive about what I would put in my body and how I would go along with such a diagnosis. And this was 25 years ago. Yeah. And so mental health or bipolar, or any of that didn't make any sense. No, nobody understood it. Uh, so it was uh, quite a, quite a lesson for me. And, and I was fortunate to have good people around me. And, and for you, you know, once you find that out, does that change Obviously, it's not going to change your coaching philosophy because you have your standard of what you want your team to do and, and how you want your staff to be. Was there things, though, you had to alter in the way you coached, maybe, or the things you did coaching to kind of, you know, fight that that stigma? I, I actually, had, you know, I had two episodes at Maine, and that's where I was fully diagnosed. Um, that was it was compact and within, you know, a couple of years of each other, but it was very helpful. And in coaching, I think a lot of it is adjustment off the court in terms of what you can and cannot do. Sleep becomes so important. Routine becomes important. I was not a big go out, you know, a socialized kind of coach. I had to stick we, we to a regimen. We'll do the socializing for you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, lots of exercise, lots of routine, uh, taking my meds day and night. And you kind of get into a flow where, you know, it's not, you don't feel like you're the bipolar coach. You feel like your coach who has bipolar and definitely it was very private for me and my family. It was not something that was shared. And even my, in my episodes, there was talk of exhaustion and me taking care of me, which were all true, but we never stepped over the line uh, and really was able to explain it just because it was go, go, go for the season. And also would have taken away from the team, you know, would have brought too much attention onto me as a coach rather than what the team was trying to accomplish. So my first book was Choice Not Chance. That book's been out for a while. Mm -hmm. um, love that book. It tells a story about coaching, being a mom and, and doing all those things. And then this book, my second book, Secret Warrior, sort of tells the full story. 
And it answers a lot of questions for the very loyal teams at Maine that stood by their coach that definitely were inquisitive enough to want to know a bit about what was happening and just did an incredible job staying with me. And we continued to win championships, you know, through all of it, uh, through the, through the tough, tough stuff and, and through the good stuff too. And, and kind of that, you know, if you don't mind talk about like that reaction from those players, you know, when they recognize that there, there's something going on with coach and, you know, I, I, like I said, I've, I've read some of the excerpts uh, and, and various articles from that time. And so I kind of have an idea by now, like our listeners, cause you know, they're all, they're like, Oh, Hey, basketball, here we go. Um, <laughs> we even did a thing where we picked Nick and I both picked our own March madness team of soccer coaches. We thought could play basketball yeah. uh, and put our own teams together. And my team definitely is going to win. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, if you don't mind, like kind of going into, you know, when your players recognized uh, what was going on and, you know, maybe when you, you inform them of various things, you know, what was kind of that reaction from them? Because I'm sure there were some like, Hey coach, what can I do to help? And I'm sure there were some were like, what do we do now? Um, So I kind of, what was that, that building with the team? Like, you know, once they, they understood what was going on. Yeah. They didn't know until I was in the hospital. So I was there and gone pretty quickly. And there was much conjecture, you know, much said about, oh, coach will be gone for a year and and media was trying to get to the team. So it was very challenging for them to understand and get, you know, get the facts. And, you know, I did some things where I contacted them even when I was in the hospital. So I was I was trying to coach them up, but it wasn't in the appropriate context. And so for them, it was scary. Uh, They were concerned about me. They were concerned about the team, the future of the season, all the things that you naturally would expect them to be concerned about. But it's funny that the stigma, you know, they really weren't overly concerned about mental component, physical component. They just really wanted me to be back and better. And they didn't really concentrate on what it was called, you know, what what I was struggling with. And I had had a child. My first um, child was born a year earlier. And so there was some connection to that uh, being said as well, you know, being a new mom and balancing the rigors of being also a division one head coach. So there was a lot of kind of speculation and I ended up being out for a good solid two weeks. It actually happened to be at a very good time prior to November, end of October, so that we had a lot of recovery time before we got ready for the season. Uh, So we were fortunate about that, but the team was concerned and just very, very loyal. When they were asked questions about me, they were very much, you know, coach is going to beat this coach is going to be ready. And it, it, you know, I talk about that a lot in the book because they're pretty amazing considering the times. For those of our audience who don't really know what bipolar disorder is, could you maybe explain a little bit about what that meant, like, and how that played an impact for you? Yeah, it's a diagnosis. You know, you can have bipolar one and two, depending upon depressive episodes and manic episodes and things like that. Um, I had both. I had a manic episode and a depressive episode. And then of course, was very fortunate to have a great psychiatrist. I've only had two, uh, one at Maine and then eventually one here in North Carolina. Uh, so I've been very fortunate with the help that I've received. But it's, it's, the nuances of bipolar are very difficult to diagnose because you fall into the trap of just diagnosing depression and depression meds don't work with bipolar. So that, that's a real uh, difficult issue. And then of course the manic side, well, sometimes can be hidden. I know I tried to hide it. And so not knowing what it was, but trying to kind of think that was my new self. You know, I only needed three or four hours of sleep a night. So bipolar is um, difficult, I think, for doctors. I think you have to have a really good sense of a person 
to be able to see that it's different. And then the meds are different. And I think there's many undiagnosed young people or old people or anybody out there. And I think they're often, people can be misdiagnosed or never diagnosed because triggers are not set off relative to stress and sleep. So people can be undiagnosed and have the genetic pool their whole life, but you've got to have certain stressors. Things have to go, go wrong. Things have to be really a challenge. And I, I would have never become the coach at Michigan State, coached in a national championship, or gone to Duke and won championships and gone to those elite eights. None of that ever would have happened if it wasn't for those main teams that stayed with me and went through the process. So bipolar is not simple. And also they talk about cycling when people cycle in and out of manic or depressive episodes. And sadly, you know, the continuum is tough. Some people cycle daily, which I really can't imagine because it's not something I've had to go through. Um, this is my story. It's not everybody's story, uh, but mine's more of a continuum. And I've been very fortunate for many, many years to be in a great spot um, and taking my meds and getting great support. When you came back and you were talking them to them and this team, the main team through it, like, what was the, what were those conversations like? If you don't mind me asking, you don't have to go into super big detail by any means, but like, like what were some of those, like how did 18, 22 year olds handle it? And how did you explain it to them in a way that would help them to understand what you were going through? Well, we, we actually didn't go into a lot of detail. Okay. So I came back, I was, you know, I was, I was excited to be back, back at practice and right into the flow of things. We talked about me taking care of myself, coming off having a baby, exhaustion, pushing myself too hard. I coached a team in Belgium that summer and really not taking time for myself. They knew that something mentally was wrong and physically that had to be corrected, uh, but we didn't get into it. And we certainly didn't talk about bipolar and genetics and triggers and any of the information that we talk about today. It was sort of like coach is back, uh, coach is good, we're back in practice. Uh, we're going day by day, and we really didn't miss a beat after that. You know, really went right through November, December, had a great season. And so we just kind of never looked back. And even in the spring, I can't say I look back, and I, and I don't the, – the team just – it was a moving forward and incredible compartmentalizing. Had I been asked, I would have answered more questions, but I wasn't ready to offer more than they needed to know at, at that time. Yeah. No, that, that definitely makes sense. And like for you, as like you were going through that and you're making the transition to the new school, like what were some of the thoughts behind like moving on from Maine and, and heading to Michigan State? Well, at that point, I had been through everything and, and really listened. You know, finally, I was a coachable coach and followed through with what I needed to do. We had beaten Stanford in the NCAA tournament and my last year at Maine lost to Carolina by three and really had done some neat things. So I, we were recruited by Michigan State. And at that point, we were just ready to go. And again, it was very much a coach with bipolar to me, uh, not a bipolar coach. And I've always been a tough and demanding coach, but relative to the mentors out there that I had, whether it be Pat Summit or anyone else, demanding was part of it. And so I was very demanding at Michigan State. Uh, we ended up going to that national championship in five years. So oh, the coaching element, you know, you change every year as a coach and you try to get better. And I definitely wanted to do that. But the bipolar element was sort of kept right where it needed to be with my medication. 
and the way I cared for myself off the court, which is really critical. That's all. Yeah, no, that's that definitely it's it's it really like it's something that it's really an inspiring story because yeah, I mean, when you were fighting these battles, you probably didn't, like you said, you tried to keep it within. So you probably didn't have a whole lot of outside help really like getting you through it. When, at what point did you start maybe seeking help with it slash like people started seeking to help you with it? I, it was pretty private. Uh, just with my psychiatrist, I didn't even have a therapist until I got to North Carolina. And the funny thing about that was I got a therapist because the Duke job was such a tough job relative to taking over after a Hall of Fame coach and also the, the sadness that the Duke players had with losing their coach. And so I, I got a therapist primarily to sort of do the delicate balancing act. And of course, she ends up connecting me to a new psychiatrist when my psychiatrist in Maine uh, retired. And I was very fortunate to deal via phone. And also I saw my psychiatrist just once a year and took my blood levels and did what I needed to do to be ready. But since I've now got one in this area, uh, it, it's been great. She's fabulous. And I've been really fortunate. And healthcare obviously is critical. Monies and the ability to pay to get great support. Uh, that's something that concerns me because I know that I've been fortunate to be able to have the very best in care. And that's something I hope to talk about more and do more with as, as time passes here. Yeah. Because again, even from personal experience, one of the things I feel like is the most difficult thing is taking that leap to go talk to someone. It feels like it's like, cause so many of us, especially within athletics, we're so used to doing things ourselves and like, like just working harder at it. And sometimes it's like, unfortunately you don't like working harder at a certain point. Like, I mean, it's like you have a bad jump shot or you have bad technique at like hitting ball. Like at some point working harder, doing it the wrong way isn't going to help anymore. And you need someone to kind of coach you through it. Why do you feel it's difficult for people to like seek help that first time? And what advice would you give those people that are hesitant to go talk to someone? Yeah, I, I, it's a hard thing. I think with athletes in particular, right. To take the medication and to make that adjustment. And I can only offer my story that I wished I had listened more. I make a decision to go off my meds because I think I'm better. And that really cost me in my second episode. And it cost me in a great deal that's covered in the book. So I just try to ask people about themselves a little bit and what their story is and remind them that with the right care, they can be better than ever. And, and the right care was kind of forced on me because I was fighting it. And it, only, it took me two episodes to recognize that this is who I am. This is me. And I didn't even get the best advice until later, which was at Michigan State where a, a colleague said to me, you know, it's not your fault. You know, Joanne, it's not your fault. It's not something you, like you said, it's not because you didn't get in the gym and work hard enough. You know, it, it's not a penance for not doing extra drill work. It's something, you know, that happens to you. It, it's a challenge, it's adversity. It's genetics, it's triggers, it's all these things that come together. And we talked about heart disease and high blood pressure and some of these other components that affect other people. And brain health has just really caught on in the last eight or 10 years relative to brain health. You know, the fact that you've got a heart, heart health matters, you know, your lungs matter. There, you know, there's horrible cancer out there that people have to cope with. And brain health is a part of our overall health. And I think the stigmas are coming down slowly 
and people are recognizing that it's workable and that you can be yourself and be better if you really, really seek out the help. When you were making that transition from Michigan State to Duke, and I promise I'm, everybody's like, oh, here we go. Sean's going to talk about Duke all the time. I'm not going to talk about Duke all the time. Um, when you're in that process, you know, you get the job. And you're going to start making your way from East Lansing down to Durham. You mentioned you'd gotten uh, a therapist in, in North Carolina who's been, you know, one that you've, you've really enjoyed. When you're, you know, when you get the call, you got the job, instantly is some of the first things you're thinking about. You know, obviously, as a coach, we're thinking, okay, got to find a place to live. You know, how are we going to get everybody down there? So for you, when it comes to getting ready for this job, and like you said, you know, taking over a program, um, you know, that the the Hall of Fame coach and players who are, you know, sad about the coach leaving, mm-hmm. where do you start saying in that process of getting ready to go down to Durham, okay, like I need to make sure I've got this person who I can meet with. And I, I've got to make sure for myself, I'm doing, you know, you mentioned routines. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to make sure I've got to find a place for those routines. When am I going to do them? So kind of like, if you don't mind, like take us through that process. Of course, I mean, I, I know that that's been a while, but like, I can only imagine, you know, with those, those things going on, you're getting ready to take this, this big job and, Hey, before I get all this other stuff in place, I got to put stuff in place for myself first. So like, kind of like take us through that, that journey, um, yeah. you know, getting ready for, for that first year at Duke. Well, I was fortunate. I was coming off a lot of confidence. We played in the national title at Michigan state. And so the whole, that's gotta be awesome to do. Yeah. I mean, well, I've never been in the national year, title game. it was a blast, you know, the <laughs> Arizona team this year reminded me a lot of what we were like back in the day in 2005. So I had a lot of confidence and bipolar was very much in the background. It was very, you know, put aside because not only had we enjoyed these student athletes who had taught us so much, but we had risen to the highest level all while I was bipolar and it was quiet and nobody knew about it. So at that point, getting the Duke job, there was all this transition and there was more transition because I was the coach for the world championships in Moscow, uh, pursuing a gold medal with a great group of women. So there was a lot to do. We see and, those medals in the background. Yeah. It's a great flex, by the way. Yeah. Great flex. Oh, it just is a great experience to be part of USA basketball. And so I, I was compartmentalized right away. And of course, not seeing any doctors at that point. We spent a month. We trained in France, which was wonderful. And then in Nice. And then we went to Moscow to compete. So I was gone for about a month. Again, kind of kept me in a, a small world before I hit the job back at Duke. But I was rolling with a lot of confidence. I had my doctor up in Maine still. And so I, at that point, I had no uh, ass, uh, anyone assisting me in Durham. It took me a couple of years uh, to find that therapist. And again, I was just in a different space because once people get used to it, and this is what I try to tell people that are recently diagnosed, you know, give it time and stay focused and, and seek the support, but you will get used to it. And it, you don't think about it every day. It's not something that comes to your mind. You, you take your meds, you go on with your life, and then you, you, know, you deal with if you don't sleep well, you, you understand the protocols and how you handle yourself in those situations. So like anything else, experience counts. It matters. I was, I was listening to a podcast you were on recently, and you mentioned about the struggles of that first year at Duke. And obviously, you know, now knowing the stories that we know, really kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here going, so, you know, I just had my first season with my group this past fall and it was 
everything that you could think could go wrong in a COVID playing year definitely went wrong. So I know what my, especially as somebody, you know, with, with mental health uh, things going on, I know how I took this past year. I can only imagine being at a, a division one power five school, very well known Def, you didn't go 0 and 11 like I did, but, um, <laughs> oh, you know, like I can, I know what it was like for me and I, what was it like for you? Because I know that turning point was getting a knock on your door, which you said was very, uh, you recognize <laughs> that knock pretty loudly. And then Mike Krzyzewski walks in and gave you a very, uh, explicit, um, <laughs> pep talk. And when you were like, Oh, I can't really get to it on the show. And I was like, I want to know what it was. I don't know what it was, but you know, like for you, like that first season kind of take us through that of the struggles that you, you had because, you know, you've, you've documented, you know, those players really missed the previous coach. Mm -hmm. So like for you, like what were some things that you were trying to do to try to, you know, whether it's get them to buy in or just like build those relationships, uh, you know, like what were you trying to do and like how, how difficult was that during that time period? Well, it was definitely transition is always hard. And this was different because from Maine to Michigan state, that was a bit of a rebuild. You know, Maine was a rebuild. Michigan State was as well. Going to Duke, it was different. They're, they'd had success and, and they had a lot of great success. So I kind of had to just get to it as a coach. I couldn't be somebody else. I had to be me. As I reflect back on it, I think there's always things that we could do better because I, I always do if we look back on things. But I just coached and had a great staff. And I tried to, you know, the team, you know, this was now trying to stay in the present moment. And it wasn't always, you know, it just wasn't always appreciated because there were thoughts about the past and the way things were done in the past. And, and a oh, lot that of, sounds so familiar, a lot of comparison. <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, we, we did fine our first year, we were sweet 16 and all that, but it took a while uh, to get our groove. And of course, Mike, you know, banging on the door and demanding, come here to do what you set out to do you know, come here, you came here with a purpose. And I had been admitted to Duke as a student athlete. So I, I was coming full circle as a coach. And it was an honor and a privilege to be the coach at Duke. And I just, you know, I was very happy and with my family and my staff and everything. And so part of that too, I wouldn't let anyone take that away. You know, we just had to kind of push through. There were some changes made, obviously players. I mean, there was one player that didn't play a lot um, with a former staff and became a starter and a captain for me. So there's things like that that occur with the coaching change, which kind of make it exciting. Uh, but at the same time, it can be a struggle. And it, especially when, you know, you don't expect it. You know, I, I didn't leave Duke for another job. I, I stepped away from Duke. It was time to give someone else a chance, an opportunity. And I stepped away from Duke. And I, I think that's different in the hurt mm -hmm. and on the category of hurt when somebody chooses to leave for another program, uh, I, a lot of people couldn't understand that, you know, yeah. from, from a Duke point of view. And like, so we, I, again, as, as a person who is, who's watching games, like I, I can think of so many men's basketball games where they're down at halftime and all of a sudden they come out second half and you can just tell there was something that was said <laughs> in that locker room. And there's all these various rumors and theories of what those sound like. I can only imagine you, you know, going through what you went through the first year, dealing with, uh, you know, also being uh, a coach with bipolar, you know, the, the pep talk that you must have gotten from, from Coach K and probably that consistent 
encouragement from him as well. Uh, Cause I, I, I do remember, uh, I think it was, it was the uh, Dr. Dish podcast that I was listening to that, that you were on and, you know, you're talking about like how supportive he was of you. Um, you know, like what was kind of like, we've had somebody on the show before who coached soccer at Tennessee and talked a lot about how Pat summit was mm-hmm. very involved with them in their entire time coaching at Tennessee. And, you know, to where like, you were like, well, were you a soccer coach or basketball coach? Cause like you and Pat summit every single day. So for you having that, you know, having this person, you know, how are many floors away or rooms away from you? You know, once that connection was made, when you get that first bang on the door, what was kind of that relationship after that, where, you know, like you mentioned, like he was so supportive of you and encouraging, you know, how did, how did that kind of help you uh, push things to a positive point? Cause you did go on it and be very successful at Duke. Well, I think it started with the interview and being on campus for the interview for Duke and making sure that I met him and spent time with him. Originally, he was not on the itinerary and I didn't think that was a good idea. And I had worked with Tom Izzo for seven years at Michigan State and again, another Hall of Famer and gotten used to that and watched his practices. And so the expectation was there for me. And Coach K was just, you know, he loves Duke and that's the bottom line. He loves Duke and wants to see Duke do well. And we didn't have a ton of conversations because we were busy, but we had a lot of uh, support in working together, a lot of flexibility in working together. Uh, and and th- that's important that the coaches can work together at any school. And at times, and he added the little, you know, that nothing was quite like that day, you know, the bang, bang, bang <laughs> on, the, on the door, nothing was quite like that. Uh, but he's, he's, you know, a special person and he's been coaching a long time and I just can't imagine that longevity. I mean, 28 years for me, that seems like a long time, but wow. I yeah. mean, he's really cranking it out. And I respect that. And I I don't know if I could be coaching that long. It, it definitely says, like, I'm just thinking of all like the struggles that I've went through as a coach. And I've only been coaching for, you know, going on year 19 now. Like, I can only imagine doing what I've been doing, except at a significantly higher level, significant more pressure, significantly more eyes on you. Like this, this full head of black hair would not be full head of black hair. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, yeah, kind of transition. We're going to talk about the book here towards, towards the end, but I kind of want to talk about that, that exit, you know, you deciding to, to step away. Um, one of the things that I've loved personally, um, since, since you have stepped away from Duke is you're still consistent support of those players and that program and make, and very public about that. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, may, you know, send a message to a player, tell the text, the coach, like, Hey, you know, you're doing a good job, but you're very public about it. And I think that's something to me, like I've found really inspiring that, you know, you can still support this program. You know, you just, you made that decision, you know, and I, I remember, I can remember, I watched the video when you announced that you were, you were leaving mm-hmm. and th- this is my fandom of Duke university. Um, I can remember watching the video and really kind of be taken back. Like, Oh my gosh, like this is, this is crazy. <laughs> what was, what was, you know, the, the conversations with family conversations with, with uh, you know, maybe the athletic director, you know, for you, like when, when was that idea of like, you know what, I'm, I'm okay with stepping away. Like th- mm-hmm. I'm going to step away and I'm going to make it okay because there's something you know, I'm not, I'm not leaving. Like you said, you're not leaving to coach another program, but there is something bigger for you um, beyond coaching Duke basketball. So like, what was that, you know, when was kind of that realization? Cause a lot of us, it's like, 
you know, they joke about, uh, you know, when, when you're not excited about going to work, that's when you, you step mm-hmm. aside, but obviously in, in your situation, a lot different. So for you, like, when was it like, Hey, like, you know, I, I, I think I can leave this now. I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I, I just think I had my time, you know, I had a wonderful 13 years at Duke and opportunity to try to win a national title and, and go to a final four. Um, even when the guys, you know, we had done that at Michigan state gone the same year as the men. I do remember that. Yeah. We were three points away from doing it at Duke against Baylor. Griner knocked us out that year. And so there's so many great experiences with the student athletes and I, it was time. I, I don't know how else to say it. It was becoming clear that as we approached the season where we had a very good finish and that was part of it too, wanting to leave on a high note. We struggled in, in December, but ended up finishing third in the ACC. And the ACC is pretty loaded, as you know, and especially since Louisville and Syracuse and Notre Dame, you know, jumped in. So it's a very different uh, situation. And I felt great about the charge we had down the stretch and finishing third in the league. So I, I could say to myself and to our staff that we had done a great job and had the most incredible comeback season. And that was part of being able to step away because I felt, you know, we, we really gave it our all and we didn't win the league that year, but we came close. We were, we were not too far out of first place. So I felt good about that. And I knew it was time. And of course there was a lot going on in our country, you know, like black lives matter, the whole movement and just the recognition of opportunity. And I thought that also made sense, you know, step away, Duke can make a historical hire you know, and look for a really, you know, great coach, person of color, leader that way. And so it just all kind of came together. My contract was winding down, you know, renegotiating that or dealing with that didn't appeal, you know, Mm -hmm. to me at that point. And so basically it just all came together and I'm grateful. The book was then finished August 6th and then taken from there, you know, with the publishing and all that we do to bring it out on February 16th afterwards. So it was a good time and I'm very fortunate and very grateful for, for all the support I've experienced at all the schools I've coached. And I think it's great when people know and don't stay too long or know yeah. that their time has come. Yeah. That's, that's why Nick and I, we, we, it's like four years and we're, we're, we're out. We go somewhere <laughs> else. <laughs> although, although both of us just started our new jobs in the pandemic. So I think, I think we're, we're stuck for a while okay. um, with, um, you know, with the things that, that, you know, as a coach uh, with bipolar and, and, and what, and, and going through that, you know, to a coach who's listening to this right now, who may think that they've got something, they, they just know something's not right, whether it's depression, whether it may be, you know, they feel like they have bipolar um, or, or various other um, uh, diseases and, and whatnot, you know, what is kind of, you, you know, I, I know that you do speaking as well, you know, what is the message you're sending two coaches who have those feelings of, you know, like ah, some, something's just not right. That you can do it, you know, that you can have success. You can win championships. It's not, it's not um, a death sentence to your coaching career that you can do it and you need to seek out help. You're not going to do it by yourself. You can't do it alone, but with the appropriate doctor who refers you to a psychiatrist who deals with medication and to learn your story. I think, you know, one of our thoughts that we use is stories over stigmas. And that's not just telling stories, that's learning your story, learning who you are and how you can be better. And just like lifting weights makes you stronger, you know, physically, mentally getting, getting a hold of your brain health makes you better and, and balances you in a way that you can be more effective and more efficient. And I know coaching is tough because it's such a public 
situation. And I know there are bipolar coaches out there without question, whether they're diagnosed or not, I don't know. And I also know the concern because with recruiting, you know, that could be such a negative if that's twisted in the wrong direction. I kind of think it could be twisted in the right direction, which is obviously this coach has been through a lot, right? knows, knows a lot about brain health and can really look out for my daughter and understand what that's all about. Because so many women come to school and depression is part of what they deal with um, or a sexual orientation. There's so many issues that pop up in that time frame in college. And everyone reflects back and says, gosh, you know, I learned a lot. You know, I went through a lot. And maybe there are some things that I wouldn't repeat to myself, but that's part of the learning curve for sure. Oh, we'd be remiss if we didn't get to talking about the book a little bit. So talk about how, like, even before we talk about like the contents of the book, talk about what process went through to add another book to um, ones you've already written and why this one was really important to get out there and to have like for, for people to read. Yeah. This book, I just really wanted to write it myself, which means there was no co-author and I had to get a publisher with John Kohler Publishing. And they, I was supposed to get an agent first to kind of help me tell my story and look at all the big time uh, publishing firms. But for me, I couldn't trust the story anywhere. I didn't know people well enough to trust it. So I basically had to write it. And then I had to kind of cold call, if you will, uh, publishers. And John Kohler Publishing you know, bid on it right away. They were excited about it right away. And so I felt that I had a home there and then it was just, you know, writing, uh, just being very focused at this point, you know, the pandemic is just hitting and we're not allowed to go out and, and recruit in person. So everything's done via Zoom. So you do all these Zooms and you recruit, but at the same time, there's lots of time. And so I, I, I filled that time with my writing and it didn't take that long, you know, April, May, June, you know, April, May, June, July, really working on it. Uh, really getting together with the editors after August 6th to really uh, continue to make it better. And it's a humbling experience because I think I'm a better coach than I am a writer still. I think that's the case, but it's it's a great experience to go through. And now with the Audible out, I'm really happy the Audible's in my voice and that I took the time to read that because I think, I think that's a good way to go is the Audible these days. Everybody's so busy. No, that's awesome. And like for, for you, when you were writing this book, like what were some of the things that like the key messages that you wanted to get in this book specifically? Well, it was more a, a dumping of all the events that occurred. You know, there's lots I had not written about in so long. And it was as my memory could serve me, uh, plus my own personal kind of research on where I was and, and what happened. So it was very much a mind dumping. I just sort of started writing. And then I kept writing and it, it's sort of a, it's also a collection of stories. It's not in this order that tells a story and marches through a timeline. It jumps around a little bit on purpose, sort of a, it's a collection of different times and different things that happen during those times. And I, and I like the book that way because that's sort of, that's sort of the feel of coaching and the change of seasons and the way coaching feels like a lot is, is the different segments. And so I just kept writing. I mean, you end up with like 250, 260 pages and then it got scaled all the way back to, you know, about 2004 or so. So it's quite a process. And 
there's a lot of people involved in it. It's very much a team concept. And so I'm a rookie writer that way. I mean, I've, I've got a lot to learn with writing. And I, I'm, I'm very fortunate Kirk has picked it up. Kirk has reviews that you can look on that online. Uh, now it's kind of gotten some push behind it. And of course, going on Good Morning America with Robin Roberts, I uh, gave it some legs, you know, to talk about and, and to be able to be out there. And so I'm always, you know, thinking about Robin and how she affects people and gives people a chance to tell their stories and then go out there and make a difference, which is what we're kind of working on now. It's, it's definitely a marathon. It's not a sprint. In, in a less serious question, one of the things I always like, no one's ever going to write a biography about me or Sean or maybe Sean, not me. Um, um, but I want a movie. I don't I want a book. Just, I want a movie. But one of the things I was always curious about, and my fiance would attest to this, is like my memory is not great anyway. Like, how difficult is it to like remember things that happened ten to fifteen? Because I'll read biographies and like people will be like, "This happened, this happened," and I'll be like, "Crap!" Like, I'm not even confident what happened five months ago. Like, let alone fifteen years ago. So, what's that process like? Like trying to like remember the details of very specific events, or is it for for you? Is it e- easier to be able to do? Well, I think it was hard. And I also interviewed players. Remember, their words are there and there were corrections and things sent to people to correct them. So I wasn't on spot on all the time, but there also were interesting times that I can remember very vividly. You know, being in that hospital, the way the lighting was in that hospital, trying to get out of the hospital and seek, uh, you know, legal support. There were so many things that were really, really in my brain. And that obviously I wanted to tell that story but the players helped kind of fill around it, especially the main players. They were able to say, oh, no, this kind of happened or this happened. And it was great to be able to quote their stories and their thoughts because they tell the story very well and they were on the receiving end. And I think that's pretty important to you know, shed light on what was going on in their mind. But the loyalty factor, again, I can't speak enough. I don't know if today that would happen. Parents might get too involved or administrators too involved and everyone's always worried about things and afraid of liability and all these things that can happen. And, and years ago, they were just grassroots kids that wanted to win championships and they weren't into anything else, but how do we fix this? How do we, how do we get to a better space? It was like taping an ankle uh, more or less, maybe, maybe more than taping an ankle, but it was uh, something like that to them. Yeah, no, that's, that's funny. Yeah. It was uh, like, it's always been my, like, I, not that I'm ever going to write a biography, but I always remember thinking like when I'm reading biographies, it's just like, oh man, like how did they remember this stuff? Like I, again, my fiance would attest that I couldn't remember what she told me to do for the wedding this morning. So like, because you have nothing to do for the wedding. It's a very yeah. true. She gives me very limited things. She's smart. So coach uh, P here's, this is Nick's life story. Okay. <laughs> Between myself, all of his assistant coaches that he's had now his fiance and dare, I'm going to say his mother as well. The only thing we've ever asked him to do or that he needs to know is where to be and what time that's literally all he's got to do is just show up. So I tell him all the time for the wedding, like he has literally the easiest job of any groom ever. He just has to know where to be and at what time. Yeah. Well, Nick, you you set it up well with your support. (laughs) You you set it up well. That sounds like a great life. I just got good people around me. It's uh, that's, this is what ended up happening. And again, it's like, I, they just, it, it ends up always working itself out. But yeah, no, Kelly would, she would not like, she just doesn't give me stuff to do. She's just like, yep. I don't like, I, I got to plan the honeymoon. I, that was the one thing I got to do. Good, good. And I did. Okay. According to her. Uh, and she actually, no, she said I did good, but um, back to you. Um, so, like, 
So as you're like telling these stories and stuff like that, what has been like, have you gotten any like response from people that like maybe weren't like, or weren't as much in the know that like reached out to you afterwards to be like, Hey, like I had no idea this was going on. I'm so sorry. Like, like, like just something along those lines. Yeah. That, that's happened quite a bit with my Michigan state players and Duke players. And they just said, I had no idea. And I think that their thoughts are just, Oh, there's, there was more to you. There was more, you know, to the story, but you know, the main kids are grateful that I told the story that they, 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 I have filled in the blanks for them. Some of the missing pieces that they kind of always wondered about and the Michigan state and Duke are more like, well, that's interesting. You know, well, you know, why, you know, that happened and, and just kind of learning more about the story and supporting the book, you know, sending me pictures, holding the book up and saying, you know, po we post a lot of different things on coach P for life and all that. And that support that way, you know, some, you don't hear anything from, but at the same time too, you hear the most from your older players, you know, the older players get, the more they come back and understand maybe what you're trying to teach or, or, say thank you or have that sense about them. So there's just been, you know, that those kinds of reactions. And that's pretty much what I expected is sort of, you know, some surprise and, you know, maybe a surprise and not sure what to think about it. But I do try to express that we're building a, a foundation and looking at ways that we can better, um, you know, mental health, brain health for everyone. And this is, so, this is a marathon. This is something I, plan on doing for a while is trying to spread the word. And I got to tell you, books don't make money. So just in case you want to write a book, like, you know, most of the cash goes out, you know, to your, mm -hmm. your, your marketing team, your PR firm, your agent, only if you're Stephen King, you know, somebody like that makes money off books, but, but you do get a really a strong sense of accomplishment. And I feel very good knowing that I've tried to make a difference. And if I just help one person, if, if one person would rethink maybe some choices that they are thinking about, when I think of the suicides of people today, particularly young people at any sport, at any situation, I, I just, I would always love to talk to them, you know, not afraid of that, but recognizing that I understand a pain like that. And by understanding it, I think people feel better that they can share their story and maybe you know, maybe I can interrupt something really bad that would happen by knowing somebody reaching out, writing the book, the audible, you know, something can be helpful. I had a player I, when I coached high school just over 10 years ago that in right at the end of our season, um, end up getting diagnosed with bipolar as well. And he's spent lots of time in the hospital and in, uh, various rehab facilities. And when I, and through it all, he kept a journal. Um, and just every day, whatever happened, who he spoke with, what was said, he just logged all of it. And, um, once he came back to school and, and was doing really well, he turned that journal into a book and like, it's like people can buy, like he's, he put it out like right before graduation, mm -hmm. um, and kind of tied in the cell of the book with, with graduation. Um, and it was so cool. Like I got one of the first copies and I still, I have it in my office obviously autographed by him, by the way. And uh, my wife even has a copy in her office at her school. And I can remember like reading through that and it being like what Nick was talking about, like here I am, I'm this kid's coach. And he at training at games is probably like our most peppy player 
and just like such a team raw raw guy. And then to read the, this book of like what was going on when he wasn't at practice and what was going on at home and what was going on, you know, in phone conversations with friends or girlfriend, whatever it may be. And it's like, it takes you back and you're like, I can remember when I first read it and I felt so bad because I was like, I wish I would have known, like, I, I want to help you. And thankfully, you know, he's, he's doing super well now. His book, it's called brother. It's on Amazon. Oh, uh, cool. And it's just, if, if anybody's out there wanting to read something very similar to what coach P's book is, but from a student's perspective, uh, it's one that I, I definitely highly suggest. It wouldn't be soccer chat if I didn't ask the one good question I have, coach. And <laughs> so let's think of, let's think of your coaching style, your coaching philosophy. What iconic song best describes your coaching philosophy? Iconic song. There's got to be some song that you've listened to. Yeah, I mean, that's okay. That, um, that is me when I coach. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to, okay. Song that is me. Um, I like a lot. So, like, of so for, for example, yeah, Nick, give me an example. So Nick always says, Nick, what is your coaching philosophy song? I, everybody have fun tonight. Everybody Wang Chung tonight. I just like having fun. Oh <laughs> That's a funny one. Um, you know, okay. Uh, uh, don't back down. Nice. Um, wait, he, he passed away. Um, who am I? You know, the song. Oh, oh well, I'm forgetting um, the singer, but, you know, don't back down. You know, the song. Are you going to sing for Tom us? Petty? Are you singing? No, no, I can't sing it. I can't sing it. Oh, Bye. yeah. Tom Petty. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Tom Petty. Yes. Yeah, that's a song that I think would. Yes. Exemplify my coaching philosophy. Tom Petty won't back down. We've <laughs> not had a Tom Petty yet on all of our episodes of soccer. I'm trying to think of Whitney, you know, Whitney is, um, and for the team though, I'm every woman. Yeah. You know, I mean, okay. So that's more of a individual thing. You know, I'm every woman. And, um, you know, I think about Whitney a lot cause I love Whitney. So Whitney, Tom Petty, that's an interesting combination. I mean, if you're going to hit two of the spectrums, you might as well go for both of them. <laughs> So if you don't mind, as, as, as we close up here, you know, whatever plugs you have, obviously the book where people can get that at websites, how people can contact you, you know, somebody's listening to this, they're interested in your story now, or they want to know more. Uh, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. Thank you for that. It's on Amazon, uh, secret warrior. It's on audible now, which I highly recommend because everyone's so busy and it's not a hard read. People have told me they've read it in two days. Oh, wow. uh, audible. I think the audible six, six hours and 33 minutes. So it's not too long. It tells a story. It, you know, I, I hope it helps. And it, it brings up a lot about brain health and of course bipolar, but there's a continuum of all brain health. And I'm working with the whole continuum, whether it's anxiety, depression, bipolar, or otherwise, because it's really kind of all there and we, and we need to deal with it. At this point in time in our country, almost 48% of people know someone or are impacted in some way about some of these mental health issues. And so if we can talk about it, get the stories over stigmas that people can remember mentorship matters, what you guys do as coaches, mentorship matters, be good to you. Very important concept that you take care of yourself. And also it's a process, you know, I'm a process driven coach and it's a process to peace of mind. It, it does take some time, 
but it's well worth the investment. So if people can take a look, it's been selling well and uh, we wanna do the best we can with Secret Warrior and I'll be speaking, uh, public speaking in person as we head into fall and winter. And if you wanna reach me, it's pretty easy, Joanne McCauley at gmail.com. I got a lot of stuff coming in and I've got a lot of some good help so I can organize it. Uh, oh, so I appreciate totally. you guys having me on. I, I, you reached out, I thought it was so cool soccer because soccer is such a hard sport I mean, talk about how mentally tough you have to be to play soccer because you right. run all over the place. Right. And so and it's so physical. So I am honored to be on your podcast and wishing Nick the most incredible honeymoon <laughs> and as he starts his new life. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, so we've mentioned on the show before too, as, as we wrap up here, um, I've always talked about how when I was coaching high school, one of the first things I would do when I first got a job was I would go to the basketball coach because I had a Twitter conversation with my Twitter friend. I like to refer to him as Christian Leitner many years ago, who he and I, he used to put out a like daily basketball, like tip that he would tell athletes to do. And one day he just, his tweet was basketball players need to play soccer. And I responded, was like, Hey, as a high school coach, I love this. Like, you know, what is some of the things that, you know, if I'm trying to convince a basketball player to come out and he talked about, you learn to defend without your hands and ball movement, because if you don't move the ball in soccer, you're going to get hit or somebody's going to take the ball away from you. And I went, as soon as I got that, I printed it out. I'll never forget. I printed it out, went to the, the basketball coach. It was like, look, here it is. <laughs> Send as many players as you want. And, and Christian also mentioned, you know, conditioning wise, like, you know, oh, yes. yes. and I got three players from the basketball team that year. And then we were so successful and it kind of bled into the basketball program. The next year I got 11 players. And so I was like, there we go. So I always tell coaches all the time when they get high school jobs, go to the basketball coach, say these things, and hopefully it works out for you. But with that <laughs> coach, thank you so much. Obviously the book is secret warrior, go check it out. We'll have the link in the, the show bio. We'll, we have it as well on the, the, uh, the links that we share for the episode coach P Thank you so much, so much, so much, so much for taking time out of your day uh, to come on here and, and just chat it up with with two college soccer coaches. Yeah, uh, I love but it. About a, but about a very important uh, awareness going on right now with it being Mental mental Awareness Month. Thank you, Sean. And you too, Nick. And keep doing, keep on, keep it on, doing your great stuff. Like Sean said in the intro, uh, we didn't talk anything about soccer in this one. That doesn't mean it's any less important to talk about. It might even be more important to make sure that we get out there, especially being the month of mental awareness. And I think the cool thing for me is when you have a person that has done as many amazing things as her, has a Wikipedia page, which me and Sean are always jealous when people have Wikipedia pages because we do um, But has the platform that she – well, I do. Because um, anybody can that's change it. It's, I don't, I'd change yours all the time, but this is besides the point. We're getting off track here, Sean. I, I had a thing going. My fault. We're good. We're good. No, I'm kidding. Um, but but the, a person like her who has the platform that she does come out and speak about the struggles that she had, I think just empowers other people that may be going through the same things to be co more comfortable speaking to someone and coming out and talking about like the things that they're going through. Because when you see someone that's done as many amazing things as she has, and you look at them and you're like, oh, okay, if they're struggling with it, it's okay for me to be struggling with it, which I think is just incredibly powerful from her because she just did so many, I, I, again, amazing things with her career, just like with this, like with struggling with this the entire time, which again, I think just shows people that everyone, you never know what someone's going through. And she, 
she shows that you can definitely like like power through it and and become as amazing as she ended up becoming. For sure. And and like I said, I I've followed her career since she got to Duke. I can remember. I honestly do remember the day she got hired and uh, you know, kind of did my research that day and, and found out who she was and just followed along with her career. And, and I really did mean it when I mentioned that when she announced uh, that she was leaving, I really, it was very shocking and, and out of nowhere. Um, but, you know, to now read the stories and, 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 and hear about her, the path that she traveled, you know, to get to this point uh, is, is absolutely incredible. Um, you know, as somebody who advocates, uh, you know, and, and, you know, does deal with depression uh, myself and whatnot to hear someone else who has battles while doing, you know, kind of the same type of job and career and the stresses that coaching can put on you and, and stresses that life can put on you uh, you know, how that can all tie in together. And I think, you know, she had a very good statement at the very beginning that I really loved about, you know, you, you fight it, no matter what it is that you're trying to do about it, you fight it. And that is something that as I've gotten older, um, you know, probably from like my worst time, once I've learned how to fight it and how to not so much control it, but like direct it uh, in a different way uh, has been groundbreaking for somebody like myself. And, um, you know, without that, I can honestly say this, I, I would not be here right now if, if it wasn't for figuring those things out. Um, so just like, again, the thing that I really wanted to push across with this, this episode is, you know, as coaches, you know, Nick mentioned, you know, we want to try to correct things ourselves, not really go out for them. Cause we're just used to correcting mistakes as, as coaches. But if you are struggling with anything or you're thinking of anything, you need somebody to chat with. You've got myself, you've got Nick, you've got a basically everybody in the soccer chat community. You know, we just want you to reach out to somebody uh, and, and chat and know that, you know, as you said, brain health is a real thing. You've got your physical health uh, and, and you've got, uh, you know, other things to do to take care of you, but brain health is a, is a big priority. And we want you to make it a priority for yourself as well. Cause you got to take care of yourself in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like Sean said, anyone that ever needs to talk, me and Sean got your back. We definitely, we we both either been through it or know people that have been through it, and so we can we 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 can be there for you if we need. But um, yeah, no, like great show. She was like we we always text during the show and just like just like, yeah, she's kicking butt right now. Like we don't even have to do anything; just right. really enjoy listening to her. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and the conversation goes beyond just this. You want to hang out with us every single Wednesday night, Nick and I will hang out with you. Uh, he's got to hop on Twitter at 9 30 PM Eastern time and follow the hashtag soccer chat. Now you can answer some of the questions if you want. Some people don't, that's fine. But if you're there, just say hello to us. Uh, there's a part of the beginning where you can introduce yourself. Uh, but you know, it's 9 30 PM Eastern time. Every single Wednesday night, hop on Twitter, follow the hashtag, uh, and connect with coaches from all around the country and all around the world, actually, uh, as well. Um, and then, uh, you know, the shows come out every single Thursday. Make sure to share the links. Some of you guys have been sharing them out the last couple of weeks, uh, especially with the, the Dose of Donna Fisher episodes. Those are incredible. Part four is coming out next week uh, where we answer your questions. Uh, those have been super, super awesome. If you haven't checked those out, go back. I, we've, I've gotten a lot of feedback on those. People have been loving them. 
Uh, so go back, check those out. All of our, our dose of Donna Fisher's as she wraps up the series on emotional intelligence uh, coming up next week. Lots of big things happening at soccer chat as always. And it is almost that time for summer. I know some of you guys are getting ready for camp season or you're getting ready for time off, whatever it may be. Uh, but just know that soccer chat always here for you. Always got some entertainment for you. And also things that you can learn as well. Nick, if somebody is wanting to chat up with you, Oh, I, I probably, I'm probably remiss. I'm not going to drop this. Um, so everybody knows that Nick's getting married in a couple weeks. And it just so happens to be on the Champions League final. And at first, I'd never really cared about that. But obviously, as of now, I do. Um, I just recorded this week. Um, the guys from Benchwarmer FC had me on uh, to talk about the, the Champions League final and talk about Chelsea. So I believe that comes out this weekend, if I remember correctly. And Nick, uh, I, I, I've not done it on the show in a very, very long time. But you have seen me when I get quote unquote WYLD wild about things. And yes. I got wild uh, talking about Chelsea uh, and, and other things uh, that has to do with the Prem. It has to do with UCL. And I, it, you want to talk about like my personality, like, fi- like not finally coming out, but like booming. As soon as this episode of, of Bench Warmers comes out, people are going to be like, who is that dude? Because uh, I just, I didn't hold back. I went all out on it. Uh, because, and I, I said this during the show, it was so refreshing to talk about soccer as a fan yeah. rather than to talk about it through a coaching perspective. Cause I, it's not something I do very often. Um, so it was, it was crazy. We recorded it late at night. I'm sure I woke everybody in my house up. Cause like, it's, it's one of those where I'm yelling, like <laughs> I'm, I'm screaming, I'm yelling, I'm flexing and growling. Like it, 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 it got wild, but uh, so shout out to our boys over at Benchformers FC. Great podcast, great YouTube channel. Go check it out. Uh, Nick, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, uh, how can they do so? At Coach N. Rizzo. What about you, brother? And mine is at Coach Soderling. As always, make sure to keep following us. Hit that subscribe button on your podcast. Hit it on Twitter as well. So you get notifications whenever Soccer Chat has something going on. It's more than a podcast. It's more than a Twitter chat. It's a big community of coaches who are all here for each other, just trying to get along, just trying to help out and, and make each other's days go significantly better than the one before. He's Nick. I'm Sean. And the best part about all this is we get to do it again next week. Nick, we'll catch you later. See you later, brother.